Welcome to this next episode of the Hints for Healing podcast, talks which hope to bring some insight and thoughts to the recovery of young people and children who are survivors of torture and trauma. Firstly, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of where I'm present, the Cabrigal people of the Darug Nation, and let me extend my respects to elders past, present and emerging, and similarly to any Aboriginal person who might be listening Again, um, my name is Sean Emorin. I'm the team leader of the School Liaison Program at the New South Wales Service for the Treatment and Rehabilitation of Torture and Trauma Survivors, STARTS. And um, STARTS is a service in Australia which works together with refugee individuals and families healed from the trauma of the past. Today, for me, it's a really interesting conversation and it seeks to unpack a little around the psychotherapeutic process of sampling therapy. And today's guests are two practitioners who use this modality in working with young survivors of war trauma. Uh, those guests are psychologist um, Sanya Stefanovic, alongside clinical social worker Chiara Ridolfi, both from who I've known for uh, quite a while, um, and I have a sincere respect for them and also for the work they do. Whilst uh, the talk will delve a lot further, as an introduction, um, sample therapy is a nonverbal um, therapeutic intervention that makes use of a sandbox, toy figures, and sometimes water. Um, and these tools are used to create scenes of miniature worlds that reflect a person's inner thoughts, struggles, and of course, their concerns as well. It is often used um, uh, with those who have suffered some form of trauma, neglect, or abuse, um, and as a tool, it is particularly well suited um, in working with young children who often cannot express their inner feelings in words. Um, but as well, it's also a technique um, that has been proven to be helpful with um, working with um, teens and adults who might simply have trouble in expressing themselves and, of course, who have suffered some form of severe trauma in the past. As a modality, it was developed by Dora Kalf in the 1950s. Um, it was influenced by um, Margaret Lowenfeld's work and um, in particular by Jungian depth psychology and Eastern philosophical beliefs. I really do hope you enjoy this conversation. And of course, thanks for listening as always. Take care. Bye. Greetings, everyone. How's things? All right. Um, hope, hope everyone's right. going okay out there. Um, I've got some two of my fantastic colleagues here, um, Sanya and Chiara, um, and I'll have them introduce themselves to you very soon. Um, but one of the things I like to start, um, one of the questions I often start with is in, um, you know, with these podcasts, um, are a bit of a background um, 
about yourselves, your roles, um, and some indication as to how you came um, to this place of working therapeutically with survivors of torture and trauma. So who would like to start? You can go, Sanya. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for inviting us uh, to the program. Um, so my name is Sanya Stefanovic, and I'm a registered psychologist, and I've been working with STARTS for the last 12 years. Um, how did I come to work with this, uh, with refugees? It was actually almost by accident. So I, I can't say that I was actively seeking to, to work with people of a refugee background, but I think from my previous experience back in Croatia and working with youth, with young people, and also working and then doing some research with people that have experienced war in, in my home country, when I migrated to Australia, um, it was sort of logical to just seek, you know, some work, um, you know, with refugees and, and with young people. So this is how I came to start and I loved it ever since. All right. So it was something that already resonated with you. Yeah, um, absolutely. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks so much. And how about yourself, Chiara? Um, so my name is uh, Chiara Ridolfi and I'm a social worker. Um, I came to start uh, around the 12 years ago as well. Um, and my, all my previous work experience have been with young people, but they were not necessarily in complex trauma. And a little bit like Sanya, I kind of found myself in, the, um, in this area without really looking necessarily for it. But I think I fell in love with the work uh, and yeah, it, uh, it became basically, um, something that I don't think I would want to change anytime soon. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting how this work particularly resonates with, um, with a lot of us who have been in this field for a long time. And do you think mm. it, it might have something to do with our own personal backgrounds, um, some of our own experiences, what, what what do you think about that? Mm. Potentially coming to Australia as a migrant or, yeah. I think that gives us, you know, gives me the understanding. But I think what what I'm really drawn to is, you know, how a simple human contact and treating someone with dignity and understanding and understand and appreciating all the complexity mm -hmm. that can really be healing i think that that is what's what's very appealing to me so my my background and even my personal experience of war in my country that gives me a good understanding but i think where my real real passion lies and why i'm still in this job is because as I said, I really think, you know, that some very fundamental, simple things that we do in therapy, I can see that working with complex trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's, that's what I became very passionate about. That's, that's what keeps me going. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Yeah. Would you say the same, Chiara? I think, yeah, I think for me, being from somewhere else, it definitely makes me more interested in working with this population. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also think that it's about um, the complexity. Mm -hmm. I'm drawn to the level of com complexity of the presentation of the clients that we work with. Mm -hmm. um, and how amazing is that no matter how complex it is, there is 
a level of um, resilience mm. and of healing that can happen. It, it really, even if the um, if the level of trauma is really high. And mm. so I think it's a very hopeful work. Yeah. Mm. So drawing upon that resilience, I, I, from what I'm hearing that you also um, are inspired by um, the resilience of your clients and it can also be adaptive in your own lives as well. Yeah. Mm. You know, I, um, I appreciate the, you know, the, the very diverse personal and professional backgrounds um, and also the approaches that you take with, with young people. Um, you know, what, what might some of the, you know, you could call them classic or um, go-to therapeutic approaches um, that you are trained in and that you would work with young people, what, what might they be? Well, so you go first. Uh, I think there are quite a wide range. Mm. You you can't be in this work and have only one or two. You may have a preferred, uh, but really rarely that works with everyone, even if it's in theory really great. And um, because of the level of complexities of of the client's life experience, mm. you need to come with all sorts of tools. Mm. Uh, till you find the one that opened the keys, uh, till you find the keys that open the door for them, really. Mm. Um, and it's it's really hard to know in advance mm. what the the key is gonna be. Um, however, I do think that I um, I really like um, an in depth psychology type of work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so where you, I guess I like to work from both um, a more um, a more cognitive side where you may look at how to reduce some of the symptomatology, but then really go to the, to the um, essence of that trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so something like template therapy would be uh, one of a preferred mm-hmm. um, tool. Okay. Yeah. Would you say similarly, um, uh, Sanya? Yes. So when I was, uh, you know, starting um, in starts and starting to work with refugees, uh, you know, I think that complexity was a little bit overwhelming because previously I've been trained in CBT Hmm. and had a really good understanding, you know, of how to apply that uh, with the range of um, disorders or symptoms that people might be presenting. But then... um, yeah, then I started become becoming, you know, increasingly frustrated uh, because the kids would just not respond to that. And it, and it clearly, it was very clear then to me that this is not the way that I could proceed, you know, working with trauma. Mm. So then exploring more and, you know, uh, that bottom-up approach and what the trauma mm. does to the sense of safety and the body and implicit memories really got me thinking about other modalities. And that's how I got to be trained in Senplay and interested in Senplay. And what, what, um, what particularly resonates with you about uh, Santray approach? Um, I really like the basic thing about Senplay that we say, you know, that it's, um, it's free and protected space, Hmm. meaning that it's very protected. It has, you know, some rules um, and you need to uh, create an atmosphere where uh, 
you know, you have a really good connection with you and the client that they're, you know, um, it's protected by the space that you hold for them by mm. the sand tray itself that has, mm-hmm. you know, specific dimensions mm. by the, the number of, um, of different miniatures. So some things are kind of structured and given, but mm. then within that structure and within that holding space, there is an immense freedom to express yourself in whatever way you may wish. Um, and that's something that really resonated well with me that there's that, you know, dynamic between protection and and being free yeah wow okay yeah would you like to comment on that Kiara as well I I think on adding on what Sanya said it's also the bottom-up approach Mm. so it is an approach that really puts the person the client at the center Mm. they are the opening the path to what's important to them, to what they want to explore. Mm. Uh, and, and my role is really becoming that container mm. uh, and that witnessing uh, and that reflective um, witness. Mm. Uh, but it's uh, completely client-led. And I think because we worked with, uh, with people that have experienced very little control throughout mm. their whole life, to to create a space where that control is given back to them is part of the appealing of this um, of this technique. Yeah, well, so it mm. sounds very empowering for the client as well. Mm. And um, what what um, principles was Santre built upon, and, and who come who came up with the process? <laughs> um, so the the found. Founder of this particular technique is Dora Kalf, which was mm. a Swiss disciple of Jung. Uh, and she put together, obviously, Jungian ideas with um, a world technique, mm. which was created by uh, Lowenfeld in uh, England. Mm. And um, so she, as Sanya said, basically, she, she used all sorts of miniatures mm. um, of both fantastic and uh, uh, real objects mm-hmm. uh, and a sand uh, and a tray full of sand to then uh, allow the person to create a scene. Mm. And there is no direction that she was giving in terms of what it was to be created. So the person can either use only the sand, sand and water uh, or objects in the sand and they can work for as long as they want, so for the full length of the session if they want to. Mm. Uh, and the role of Dora Kalf at the time was really to observe, uh, mm. to bear witness, to, to be attuned to what they were doing and to what was happening inside her, and basically using all of that to mm. guide her therapy. And yeah. so she wouldn't give interpretation mm. uh, to the client, uh, but brought some of those elements into the more verbal part of the therapy. Mm. And I yeah. guess the um, what is, at, you know, at the bottom of that is that uh, that belief that the psyche has a tendency to heal itself given yeah. the, the right uh, conditions, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And also I think in here it might be useful to make a distinction between Jungian Sen play and centre because they both exist and they're both, you know, valuable in, in, in treatment of clients, but they, they are very different. Mm. In centre, 
the client is not directed in what to do um, and, and which scene to make, um, and the client is not given any interpretation of the you know the final scene. Mm-hmm. In centre, uh, however, you, you may direct the client and you know and suggest what they could or should. Um, create in, in the in, in the sand in the tray um, and I guess the, the distinction is quite important because it, it invokes two different processes in someone's psyche mm-hmm. I think you know that's what, what you just mentioned in relation to union principles that's probably one of my most inspirational um, concepts is around the importance of the, the psyche's ability to self-heal mm. um, you know um, how um, you know especially when, you know, when we, when we talk about our work with young people, how do you think that it's particularly relevant that the concept of the self-healing mechanism um, um, and in this work, um, given that um, sometimes young people might not have the words to express trauma, their own fragmentation, and, of course, maybe subsequently their own um, journeys towards healing. Do you think it's particularly relevant in this context? Absolutely. Um, I think on numerous occasions, like both of us have seen how during the process of assessment, you know, you would talk to the parents, to the school and other relevant others of a young person, and you would get one um, understanding and picture, uh, you know, about what might be, you know, the young person is struggling with and what, what is important. But then when, when you talk to a young person or a child and, you know, especially when you see what is it that they create in the sand and you mm. try to understand it using the symbolism and archetypes, you know, something else might, might emerge. And it's just beautiful that even without the words, the child or a young person can actually show you mm. what is it that they're struggling with, what is important for them. And that's your main um, main information that that's where you start and then you know that that's how you uh, um, organize and that uh, your treatment basically mm-hmm. and, and that that's invaluable for me that i think that's the, the biggest gift of sample i would say mm. yeah. and i think we have known now for quite a while that um trauma is recorded in the body it is not a verbally recorded experience. Yeah. And so whether you're a child or an adult or whatever level of English you may have, mm. that particular um, experience cannot really be recalled with words because that's not the way it was um, uh, memorized. Yeah. And the sand play really brings the body into the picture. You mm. have to physically touch uh, the sand, you have to physically touch the figurines, uh, mm. it's very sensorial. And mm. so I think that's where you bypass some of that verbal information that sometimes is not really useful and mm. you go straight to the core. Yeah, fantastic. And I just feel like adding also another thing here is that, I mean, every um, counseling or, or therapy session is experience in itself, yeah. but I yeah. see engagement in scent play is very, very experiential. Something happens, um, you know, and there, there, there is a change. Um, and the, the client, the child, the young person gets control. So even if there are, you know, horrible monsters in there, um, he is the one uh, mm. that is manipulating them. And, and they have control and they have that power that when the time comes, they can actually 
um, change the narrative. They, they can they can move this um, mm. and then move that in a different direction. And normally in life, we don't always have that, that sort of power, but it is possible in Sample, and that is also something that brings um, mm. a significant change. Mm. Fantastic. One of the things that was was really interesting to me is how Dora Kalf was very specific around the characteristics of the tray and the equipment that was used. Um, mm. And could you talk a little bit more about that and and about how she described this specific place of healing? Um, I think the idea that she had in terms of the tray size, for example, well, she wanted the person to be able to have a field view of all the space. Mm. So it shouldn't be too big that you feel lost in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not too small um, that you cannot create enough. So it's your field view, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you By looking in front of you, you can see the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That was in terms of size. Uh, she wanted the inside to be blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of the reason is that because while you move the sand, you may arrange the sand in a way um, to give an impression that there is water at the bottom. Mm. Uh, and so there was basically the two different elements that were represented, the water and the earth with the sand. Um, and in terms of miniature, she actually didn't, she said you needed to have as big as um, a representation of all objects. So mm. animate, it can be animals, people doing different things, inanimate, uh, natural objects. Um, so she didn't really, it, it's, I think no uh, same counselor or therapist will have the same collection mm. uh, because in a way the collection does represent a little bit of your own psyche. Yeah, that's um, that's such an interesting concept as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're obviously going to have the main categories for all mm. of us, but then each one of us, yeah, is going to have their own uh, expanded mm. yeah. Um, areas. Yeah. And our own preferred categories or blind spots as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was going to ask a question specifically about that a little bit afterwards, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, about the the, the, the the physical space and um, of course, Jung, you know, relates that space to the, the temenos and or, you know, a, a, essentially a safe spot where, um, you know, it could be a square space where um, mental work can take place. And um, often you see this, this temenos um, relating to similar co- um, concepts across cultures, sometimes indigenous cultures, especially where an encounter with the unconscious can be had and where these unconscious um, contents can safely be brought into the light of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, these often occur within a, a physical space and often form, um, often in the form of circles or squares or whatnot. Um, have you seen something similar across different cultural contexts where um, different cultures use certain spaces in the form of, um, you know, circles or squares um, to bring about healing? Uh, definitely. I definitely saw it in different ex- religious expression in Brazil. Mm. Um, 
where you bring the the ritual is done um, in a circular motion, um, mm. but also uh, it's not a coincidence that Dora Kalf was interested in Eastern philosophies, mm. um, and uh, that's part of I think the reason. Um, I think she was quite interested in the Zen mm, Buddhism yeah. in mm. particular. Mm. Um, because I guess you look for a meditative space or tools that brings you as a therapist into that attunement, into that meditative reflective space mm. to create that sacred, sacred space for the client. Mm. Um, but I'm also thinking if you think about um, <clears throat> churches mm. or temples or mosques, mm. they all have a specific geometry. Yes. Uh, that is geometry of God mm. in, in, in that case, because mm. you are trying to recreate a geometry that will bring you the connection uh, mm. to the divine. Yeah, wow. Thank mm. you. And in creating that, you know, safe space, it's incredibly important, um, mm. you know, the room that you are in mm. and how you set it up. It's also important um, when the clients are doing and engaged in Sentle, where is it that you're sitting? So we normally sit just a little bit on the side so that we're not interrupting the process. We're not being um, confrontational, I guess, but we're bearing a witness. So we're just on the side. The client is aware of us. We are able to see what is unfolding in the tray and we're, we're able to hold that space. But basically the client is the one who does all the work. Um, so that, that's another way of, you know, holding that sacred space, Temenos. And mm. I guess also for us in start, it's incredibly important to be educating our interpreters mm. how to do the same because in some, sometimes they're with us in the room and they really contribute um, to that space. Wow. Yeah. I want to add another thing to that because all of these is obviously the ideal. Now, the reality of facts is that we bring our collections quite often um, to schools mm. uh, and we do outreach send play. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you not always have the perfect room. You don't always have the quiet room or sometimes you don't even have always the same room. Um, and I think that's where it's really important that, you, you know, you have your own little trick to find that alignment for yourself so that you can be grounded for the client and recreate that, um, that space, that safe space. Because in reality, you don't always have the best conditions to do that. Sure, yeah. And that's why we become incredibly protective. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And assertive. <laughs> Um, and what, what are what are some of the outcomes that you've observed in the the clients you've worked with over the years in using this particular intervention? So I, I would go back again, first of all, for the bottom up approach. Um, mm. You know, so the outcomes would be uh, increased regulation um, in in the body and you know in the nervous system. And I've seen that you know in the course of the session so many times when someone comes, it's a little bit um, you know nervous, anxious, uh, mm. hyper aroused. And then once they put their hands in the sand and start working in the sand and touching the sand and the figurines, they just calm and drop. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, 
as as the process continues that really helps with the regulation um and and also that creating a coherent narrative of mm-hmm. the trauma even though it's often not put in the words but just yeah. in how the sample progresses and how they're able to tell their stories uh with just you know using the the trays the tray and the miniatures um brings brings that uh, trauma into into sort of closure and, and cohesion mm. yeah. Um, yeah are they in the form of archetypal stories sometimes because i know of course you know jung placed the importance on the collective unconscious and mm. and also on archetypal stories and i was interested in in to to see how it's relevant in observing the path towards healing as as sort of observed through the trays which your clients express mm. Mm. I would say that, you know, we were always thinking and, and, and not always, but we were sort of at some point curious to see whether there's something specific about refugees and, mm. you know, complex trauma and war trauma and would that play out? And we haven't done any research, but what, what I think I, I was taught by my clients is that no client is the same. So, mm. you know, if I was expecting to see a hero's journey in most of the client's processes that really wasn't happening. Mm. You, you get, um, you get a lot of different expressions of the psyche. You might get a hero's journey. You might get someone who's working just with, with the sand and with the water. Yeah. You might have st- all sorts of different expressions and different types of archetypes um, mm. that are unfolding. So, yeah, so far we haven't done a research, but so far we can't just see one one thing unfolding. And I guess it's not even really our role to, or at least from what you're telling me, it's not really the role to interpret anything. It's more to create that safe space and to um, to to bring about or to to help facilitate the client's um, self healing journey. Mm. Yeah. Well, that is interesting, and I guess you know, as a as a therapist, I I, I would say I was struggling with that a little bit because mm. you know you do need to try to attempt to understand what is mm. unfolding in front of you, and then you go back and you study the symbols, you study the archetypes, you get your supervision, you you mm. attend also to your own uh, counter transference um, yes. and your own feelings, body sensations, you know what's happening inside of you. So even though, you know, it, it looks like we're not doing much in the mm. same play session, there's a, there's a lot of things that is happening inside of us, mm. uh, and that has to be the case. But then after all of that, after you looked at the tray and maybe, you know, formed some possible hypotheses or thoughts around what might be unfolding, mm. you sort of need to put that aside. Uh, because we can never really, really know for sure what is it that is being expressed. Mm. So that's that, again, that interplay between the knowledge and trying to understand and under, real understanding and, and then also letting that go and creating the space for, for freedom. Yeah, wow. Mm. And I think ultimately we are always a bit curious, so we're going to mm. have a little sure. bit of question marks. Yeah. Um, I'm always amazed at... Um, uh, Sanya's clients and their use of bathroom objects, for example. <laughs> and I, I really like to do a research about that because it's so specific to to her cohort compared to mine. So I, I don't think in all these years I've had anyone ever using my bathroom objects. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so I think that there is space to overall maybe do some research around, yeah. you know, why certain things are more prominent yeah. in certain culture than in others. Mm. Um, yeah, but then in general, I think the work that you do, as Sonia said, is at some point you put together all the trays down by that person and mm. you with colleagues and obviously with the supervision, mm. you look at what, what, um, what stories are there. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, from, from an archetypal point, point of view, so um, what elements um, are there, uh, but also we, uh, we use sometimes fairy tales Mm. Uh, and look at, uh, you know, how if there is a fairy tale that particularly resonates with that um, person's both use of objects and, and narrative. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's all different elements they use, but they're, they're really your lens. Mm. It's not the ultimate lens. Someone else may look at the same process and see something slightly different or use another tool to, to, to look at that narrative. Mm. Yeah. I just want to, that, that, that's fantastic. And I, I guess I just want to get, um, just ask another question in relations to what you were talking before about, you know, transference um, and also about bringing the counsellor psyche into the process. And, you know, of course, whilst, you know, um, therapists using um, sand play might take, you know, quite a non-prescriptive, non-obtrusive role in the process, um, as to let the self-healing mechanism do its work, so to speak. Um, how else do you think the counsellor's psyche is involved in the process? Um, perhaps considering that the play toys and figurines are those are amongst the collection of the therapists themselves. And previously you described that, you know, um, a lot of Sanya's trays, uh, the clients who were um, often depicting um bathroom scenes or things like that. Um, and I guess, you know, often, um, yeah, because th those figurines are chosen by the, um, by the, by the counselor. So um, with that in mind, um, how, how do you think that the counselor's um, psyche might also be involved in that process and how could it potentially be a detriment or how could it facilitate the, the pathway towards healing? I think it definitely is present. Uh, uh, as you said, just in the choice of your collection, um, but also in that moment, because if you are in that space, in that sacred space, then you both are. Mm. And so to some level, you, you are going to be in that tray or in that choice. Um, I think that's why it's important, uh, in general, in therapy, that you have your own therapist, Mm -hmm. uh, that you do your own therapy to to kind of limit or uh, you know your intrusion into the and clients. your blind spots um, and your blind spots yes and I, I think it's definitely part of the registration process for Sandplay that you do your own uh, therapy with Sandplay um, and then uh, I, I guess that helps you sometimes to recognize when. Um, or, or to at least have a question mark around, uh, is, is, that, is that me or is that really the client? And where, where is the distinction? Uh, but it's interesting. Sometimes I think it is useful. I, I found that when I've gone and maybe done some, uh, you know, weekend workshop on a particular symbol, 
funny enough, that particular symbol all of a sudden was used by my clients in the weeks after the workshops. And mm. it was as always been there. It wasn't uh, hidden or it wasn't put in any different way. Uh, but yeah, so I guess as we say that the client will go as far as the therapist is able to go herself or himself. Mm. And wow. so you need to be able to go to those dark spaces of your own experience mm. if you want to accompany the client in that journey. So, so it's it, both positive yeah. and negative. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're, from what you're saying, um, amongst the best counselors, amongst the best therapists are those who have had a significant amount of couch time themselves. And continue to have. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> would, would you like to also comment on that, Sanya? Yeah, look, it's a bit spooky, you know, if you put it that way, but I do really believe that our collections are an extension of our psyche. Because, mm. you know, all those objects are carefully chosen, that they excite us and in some way we all have, um, you know, our emotions and then, you know, about a particular object so that there are extension of, of our psyche you know they made our way in our collection so every time the client uses them you know that they are relating to us to our to our psyche and again and that's why you know a lot of times we're incredibly protective of our collections yeah. and really treated with respect because of the, you know th these things become alive in in um in, in therapy and in sample. Mm. And I would also bring up, you know, that concept of co-transference. It's not mm. just that, you know, um, it's between us and, and the young person, the client, but it's also both of us in relation to the tray and what's unfolding in the tray. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, we have our thoughts and feelings um, and sensations regarding w what is it that we see and, and we both look at it mm. um, and, you know, that, that's a third entity almost um, that, that is unfolding in the room. But mm -hmm. that's very significant in sampler because a lot of times, you know, in, in therapy, the therapist might be the one who is confronting or challenging clients. But in mm -hmm. sampler, when they engage in sampler, it's a little bit different because they themselves create something and then they can be very confronted by their thing. The therapist is on the side. We, we're a witness, we're accompany, accompanying mm -hmm. uh, the person, but we're not directly confronting that the creation itself is yeah, then right. the one that is being confronting. It sounds like a very powerful therapeutic bond and exchange. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from what you've just said, you know, whilst, you know, during the session, the, the counselor's role is predominantly to hold space, you mm -hmm. know, sometimes, you know, of course, not to interpret um, mm. sometimes not even comment on mm. the tray. Um, mm. Yet, you know, there, there is that very powerful therapeutic mm. exchange and mm. especially um, when you factor in those unconscious pro processes at play. Mm. Um, I guess with, with this in mind, um, there must be an importance on self-care for counsellors mm. to mitigate the potentially harmful impact of, you know, working with traumatic material. Um, mm -hmm. could you maybe talk to a little bit about that? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you, you put it right, you know, because it's, a, it is work on a subconscious or unconscious level. Mm. We need, we as therapists, we need to take care of ourselves on that level as well. So there's many different things, you know, that we put in place, you know, immediately after the session, one of the thing is that it's, it's the therapist then who dissembles the tray in a very 
well, first of all, that records the trade yeah. with, through many different angles and taking photos uh, that will be later on as a, uh, serving as a reference both for the therapist and for the client. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, then that ritual almost of dissembling the tray, cleaning the figurines, putting it back. Um, and, and, and also then in that process, you know, grounding ourselves and noting our own feelings, thoughts, body sensations as, you know, as we do that. Um, th- that's the first one with self-care. Then, you know, it comes the supervision where, you, you're trying to bring that subconscious more into the conscious level and looking at the different objects, trying to sort of have some sort of understanding of what, what has been created. And then really therapy. Mm. Therapy is, is incredibly important in maintaining that self-care and making sure that, um, that we are healthy, that we are open, mm. um, that we are able to, to still hold our clients. Yeah, wow. Do you, would, would you like to comment on that as well, Kiara? I don't think I have much to add to that. Um, besides that, I think supervision is so essential. And mm. we are very lucky that we have weekly um, mm. because I know some of our colleagues have um, a lot less access mm. to supervision. Mm. And I think if you're working... Um, in this field, particularly with complex trauma, then you mm. have to have a very regular, consistent um, um, supervision to be mm. able to unpack some of those uh, feelings and not transfer them in your mm. own private life or uh, be so absorbed by them that you, you can't separate from them when you're with the client. Mm. Thanks for that. Um... And if, if anyone is interested um, about learning a little bit more about Santray, sorry, Sample, where, um, where where might they go? Are there any classic, is there any classic material they could purchase or um, where where could I potentially um, uh, encourage others to look and I can put those in the show notes? There are an Australian and New Zealand Sandplay um, Centre. So I think that would be a very good one to start with because it's local and obviously it's easier to access. Mm. And they have a place definitely in Sydney where there is a small library that can be accessed and there is a lot of free uh, books and information for Mm. reference. So that's one. And the American Sandplay Association, actually, it's really uh, thorough in terms of um, resources and publication of uh, bi-annually magazine. And yeah, these are two places that are really good to get resources that are quite often either free or at a really modicum cost. Mm-hmm. And I, I also assume there, there's, there are some books that are written by Dora Kalf around mm. this approach mm. as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah. We, we can give you all the references, but yeah, Dora Kalf, Estelle Weinrib, and then there's many, many other authors that contributed mm. to this field. So yeah, mm. it's a quite rich um, yeah, field. Fantastic. Well, I'll, I'll, put it, I'll put it in the, um, in the show notes for anyone mm. who might like to gain access to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you so much. I really appreciate your generosity in sharing, um, you know, with me about your, your, your approaches that you're taking with, um, with young people in schools. 
Um, and it's really inspiring work. And, you know, I, I thank you for your commitment to this as well. And I thank you for your time. So take thank care. You. Thanks for having us. Bless you both. Thank you, Sean. All right. See you now. Bye. Well, I hope um, you all enjoy the talk today. Of course, if you like, please share with your friends or others who might benefit. Uh, we're also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you'd like to find out further info on the work we do, please go to www.starts.org.au. So www.startts.org.au. Until next time.